It's Jane Perone here. I'm feeling so festive, I'm thinking of renaming the show On The Sledge. What do you think? That was my husband's idea. I'm blaming him. I'm not sure he is to be trusted with naming a podcast. He wanted to call this podcast Sage Against the Washing Machine. I kid you not. In this week's On The Ledge podcast, we're finding out whether houseplants really do clean the air around you. Discovering one surprising thing that might be causing a lot of air pollution in your home and answering a question about teeny tiny ferns for terrariums. Those of you who have been subscribed to my newsletter for a while might have had a shock this week because, well, hey, it actually arrived in your inbox for once. My pinky promise to you is that I will try to send one newsletter a month from now on. So please do subscribe. You can do that by clicking on the newsletter link in the top right hand corner of janeperone.com. I'll also include a link in today's show notes. The top news from the newsletter was my new merchandise store full of everything from mouse mats and t-shirts to tote bags and mugs, all with the snazzy new On The Ledge logo designed by the lovely illustrator Jacqueline Colley. You can get it in black and white or in a lovely two-tone green setup. So do go and take a look at my shop. There's still 15% off for the rest of this week. So nip in there quick and grab yourself a little Christmas gift of a planty nature. The top 10 plants removing indoor toxins. Five houseplants that'll help clean the gross polluted air. Four powerful air purifying plants to clean the air in your home. Yes, the headlines are everywhere about houseplants and how they can literally change your life by cleaning the air in your home. The oft-quoted research in this area comes from a Dr B.C. Wolverton, and he did some research with NASA, which came out in the late 1980s. A lot of the articles you're still reading today are based on that research, which is quite frankly often rather misinterpreted and misunderstood in the first place. But anyway, surely someone's done some more up-to-date research on houseplants and cleaning air. I'm glad to say I found someone who's doing exactly that. I spoke to Curtis Gov, who's a final year PhD student at the University of Birmingham in the UK, and he's working with the RHS doing research into houseplants and how they remove CO2 and VOCs, volatile organic compounds, from the air. In other words, air pollutants. The story behind the headlines is a little bit more complicated, so I chatted to Curtis about his research and what he's discovered about how houseplants work in terms of CO2, humidity and removal of VOCs. I also found out the truth behind all those headlines you may have seen recently about houseplants giving you better skin. Over to Curtis to explain what he's been up to. Um, I'm from the University of Birmingham. Um, a final year PhD student, and I'm looking at houseplants and how they may improve indoor air quality by removing certain pollutants, these being uh, CO2, uh, VOCs, and NO2 specifically. Um, Although they do remove more pollutants than that, that is what I'm specifically looking at. Curtis, I'm really glad that you're doing this because there's so many headlines about 
houseplants and their wonderful qualities. And I really want to believe that houseplants, you know, a couple of peace lilies in my front room will sort out my air quality. But I, I'm really glad that you're you're actually carrying out some, some more scientific research into this because the research that's always quoted is that done by I think it was I think his name's Dr. Wolverton for um for NASA a long time ago. And it seems about time that we get some actual some current data on this. Tell me a bit about what you're actually how you're actually measuring this and what you found out so far. Yeah, sure. So yeah, you you you're correct about Wolverton. He was really the first the first guy, but unfortunately he he may have overstated quite dramatically from from his research and the field is never really caught back up the the claims that you hear are often uh, over exaggerated and don't have much scientific proof behind them um and that's sort of not blaming him specifically but he, he sort of started it and then that that's what happened um but there is there is certainly value in plants but a lot of the time which which we like to try and stress as well is the fact that it is it's it's not the not any plant is going to provide all of the benefits and they need to be looked at as sort of a, a service indoors so a house plant they 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 bring uh several several advantages as well as pollutant removal which which i do they they also um bring advantages in well-being and and productivity and even in, in healthcare settings and so um and they uh, they can control relative humidity um, by you know regulate relative humidity in rooms and this improves energy efficiency indoors and uh, uh, re- reduces energy consumption in buildings especially in offices and obviously that's good for the environment so as i said before i'm looking at uh, specific pollutants being co2 uh, and no2 and uh, vocs we've done previously and what we have is a, a small chamber that we enclose a plant in and seal and and so for with CO2, for example, which is where the bulk of my research is, is what we do is we uh, put in a concentration into the chamber of about of a thousand parts per million, which is a, a health guideline recommended by a big body called ASHRAE. Um, and they they say this is the maximum you should have over a, a long period, over over a sort of eight hours. So what we do is we, we put in a thousand ppm and put the plant in as well and basically see if the plant can remove or how much CO2 the plant can remove in a period of time uh, at different light levels. Because with CO2 specifically, light is very important. It's not the same for all pollutants. Um, so, so uh, And what we found is that actually you need a, a, very, a very high light level. So in, in normal rooms, uh, normal sort of room environments, you may not get enough light to see any significant CO2 removal. Although on the flip side of that, what we found is that a lot of people always ask me, oh, well, are they just respiring CO2 in the evening and when there's no light and is this detrimental? And we found that it certainly isn't. And at high light, which you possibly could get on a windowsill and in offices where you we could have sort of uh, specific installations with, with LEDs. I'm sure you've seen green walls um, and they have specific lighting on them. And a similar thing can be done there. And, and we found quite quite decent removal by certain species, especially peace lilies, at this high light level that could that could influence uh, room level. But that's not to say that plants they need that light. That's specifically for CO2. If you take benzene for example, VOC, it's been found that in the light and the dark, the removal is is almost the same. So it's it's very specific on each pollutant. So how many plants do I need to be looking at having in an average sized 
room in order to get get, get a, a sort of measurable benefit from from a plant does it depend on the plant i mean that's probably a very sort of blunt question but you know <laughs> and probably one as a scientist you're not going to say it's six or whatever but i mean is there a, you know is is one or two plants going to do it or do you literally need to have like a living wall in your front room to make this work uh, like i get this question a lot as, as you can imagine and yeah it's 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 not not a couple plants in your room for pollutant removal is not is it and especially with i can't say this for all pollutants but certainly with co2 it's not going to make a huge difference and as as i said before it needs to be looked at a building service um and really where we found in improvements for co2 is is with walls that you suggested because you can get a much higher density of plants in a small space but that's not possibly that's more of an office as I, you know that's not something that people would have in their homes or at least not at the moment anyway but who knows in in 10 years or so maybe that it will be more more sort of domesticated <laughs> like that um so for co2 yes you need a, 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 a quite a large number of plants we're looking at sort of uh 10 plus of of of, of sort of the best the best plants to sort of to really sort of try and uh, but because the biggest uh, creator of CO2 indoors is us, so humans. So, you know, what we breathe. So trying to offset uh, a human's contribution, you're looking at a lot of plants for CO2 and at the right light level. But it doesn't say that there are, there are, there are numerous pollutants that they've been found also to sort of with particulates. But it's certainly the case for pollutant removal, we think, where, where having a couple of plants in your room, although it's not going to be detrimental, uh, it's not not quite what's been publicised in in the media and what you see a lot of that a one house plant will do a lot. And we've also found that species difference is, is massive. You know, it can ver- the CO two removal can vary sort of fifty uh, fold between s- certain species. So again, this is something to consider. But you know, not, we don't want to put a downer on on this. You say on, on plants, there's still positives from this, but I think we just have to try and be careful and sort of row back from claims that you hear a lot. Um, you know, the claim I hear a lot is, is that plants improve the air. And, and it's so, that's so va- vague, if that makes sense. You know, they improve air. I mean, there's, it could be over two, 300 specific pollutants in the air at any one time. As I mentioned before, each one is completely different from studies that have been done. They react differently to each plant they're removed differently by each species remove each one differently so it's, it's very com- complex um and it's easy to say that they improve air and and they do remove these pollutants and, and with vocs they, they do remove pollutants at in situ concentrations sort of room concentrations and also at normal light but it's it's just yeah the, the research hasn't really caught up with with the claims are peace lilies kind of at the top of the co2 removal scale and then well, what what plants are terrible at removing co2 are there particular is it cacti and succulents or, or what, what what's not very good at, not that i'm kind of going to buy plants according to how good i don't really care to be honest when they're removing co2 particularly but because i hate peace lilies i have to say i'm not a big <laughs> peace lily fan but i'd be interested to know what, what like what are the what are the plants at the bottom and do they have any and which are the plants at the top and do they have any common characteristics like, is it to do with, I mean, because I'm just thinking about lots of cacti, without getting too technical, but I know lots of cacti and succulents use CAM photosynthesize uh, to have a different way of photosynthesizing. Does that mean, does that affect their CO2 removal skills, if you see what I mean? 
Yeah. No. Well, we haven't we haven't tested uh, specifically whether whether cam uh, species is that is what affects the CO two. But as you said, that, that could be. We've we've tested um, uh, zamiel, you know, uh, zami zamiel zamifolia, the the sort of succulent. I'm sure you know what I mean. Um, so that's one we've tested for CO two, and that certainly isn't the best. And uh, and we believe that that is because it's a succulent, as you mentioned, and it's just a lot slower. So what we found really is that with CO2 removal, it sort of links quite heavily to, to, to the water loss of plants. So plants that need water and more, i.e. the peace lilies, which are much more difficult than other house plants to keep and, and need more water in and more care, are actually the best at CO2 removal. And we, we found ivy as well, which is, you know, heterohelix, which is predominantly an outdoor species, is actually also very good. And that could be because it's likely that's because it's an outdoor species. And also it requires a lot of water. And so that's what we're finding in succulents. And, and um, epif- we've tested an epiphytic plant, uh, Gasmania, which you see around a lot um, in stores. And that, w- that was also not very good, which we were surprised about because we were thinking that with CO2 removal predominantly being through the stomata and, and uptake, that an epiphytic plant, which would do a lot of work through the leaves and through the stomata because of its nature, we thought would be good, but it, it turned out it actually wasn't. So, yes, we've seen sort of the herbaceous water-using plants, more vigorous species, physiolo- physiologically active, that's it, Physi- more physiologically active sort of vigorous species are better at CO2 removal. And in turn, we've done work on relative humidity, and, and this means that they actually release a lot of water into the into the atmosphere so they can increase relative humidity. And, and that's sort of, uh, uh, we've written a paper recently, and that's, what we've looked at as well is humidity, and we found that that a lot less plants are required to sort of regulate the humidity. What I also wanted to ask you about was the headlines uh, that uh, about about plants being good for your skin. I'm presuming this is tied into the the humidity issue in that uh, that the drying effects of central heating and stuff are, are moderated by. Um, by by having plants which as you say regulate humidity and um, was that something that you um were surprised by that the way that plants the, the plants were able to do that in in the, a lot of people thought that they thought it was sort of a, a test that maybe didn't need it doing it's expected we know that and most people know that plants transpire and they release water into the into the atmosphere i think what we were surprised about is possibly uh, the small number required uh, you know, you're looking at uh, little numbers that can actually have a big effect in a room. You know, you're talking much less than CO2, you know, five, five or so plants can actually have quite a significant effect of raising because humidity should always be kept between 40 and 60 percent to sort of uh, offset health issues. And, and, and having sort of we, what we found is having five or six or so in, a, in, a, in quite a large office, admittedly you know, bigger than a room, but sort of a hundred meter cubed office can actually uh, tip the balance there. So there is consideration, but that was just from um, modeling uh, sort of estimations that we've done. But well, we were surprised about that. And, and, and another thing that with the dry skin, that was, yeah, it was great that we got some media attention for the paper. And obviously it was, it was, it was good in that sense. So the dry skin uh, was not actually something that we tested that was taken um, by by the the first article written as as because low humidity causes dry skin, so the fact that plants can raise the humidity was then taken as they can improve your skin. 
I see. So was it one of these things where you put the press release out and then some science journalist went, oh, well, that must mean Powers Plants are good for your skin. That's my headline. I think, the, if yeah, so the original article is, 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 is actually sort of written and, and inputted by, by the RHS who sponsor me and, and sort of, but as, it, as it's gone through media, which is good, like, I, I, you know, I'm not complaining, it's nice for, for, for me, but as it goes through different sites, it's sort of been watered down more and more, more and more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but that's yeah. not—it's not an untrue statement, as you said. Plants do increase the humidity indoors, and therefore, therefore, they—they they would help with dry skin. But that isn't something that we specifically tested in the study. It's fascinating how that happens, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, seeing the evolution of uh, of a scientific study through a press release, through to how it's received by the media, is uh, is a fascinating thing. And one of the—I guess—one of the joys of this podcast is that. Uh, we can have a chat and it's kind of it hopefully we can kind of get to the bottom of what what get it from the horse's mouth and hear from you what your research is actually showing and now back to my interview with curtis gubb and i wanted to find out how he got into houseplant research in the first place so I've always enjoyed uh, sort of houseplants, but I never had any knowledge. So I'm, I, I did my undergraduate degree in chemistry. So I'm actually sort of a, a chemist. Um, but my dissertation in that was to do with with similar level, uh, similar aligned to this about houseplants and, and actually emissions from houseplants. So they, well, as well as removing pollutants, uh, plants also emit BVOCs into the into the atmosphere. Um, so we, we were doing some work on that, and uh, I, uh, my supervisors um, from the University of Reading at the time got, got funding for uh, a PhD in a similar area, so I applied for it and, uh, you know, interviewed for it and, and got it. So that's how it came about, really. But So I'm not a specialist in houseplants, and really until I'd done the PhD, it's sort of knowledge that I've learned in the last couple of years, and it's not, so it's not something that I've been doing for a long period of time. But I have really enjoyed it, and I like the way that it um, it relates to a lot of people. Really like houseplants, and it relates to a lot of people. And I, I, people are always really interested, and and I find that then houseplants are becoming more and more important. I think, and especially in the building sector and the building industry, uh, walls, uh, green walls, and and that sort of thing are becoming more and more popular, and you're seeing them in in more and more buildings. So. It's it's and this research sort of research in this area is, is really required, I think, because there's a lot of sort of false claims out there. And we want to sort of try and um, row back, if that makes sense, a bit from some of the claims. And it's not saying that they don't because they did. They do improve the air. And this is the problem. They do improve air because they are removing pollutants. But what pollutants are we talking about? Is it enough to actually affect concentrations in a room? Are they just sort of if if you paint a wall, for example, um, and you release obviously when you when you get that paint smell, they still they have low VOC paint, but you're still getting that smell and you're still getting chemicals into the air and from air fresheners and things like that. It's raising the concentration of VOCs. So are we talking about plants being able to actually help with very high concentrations of pollutants that may spike indoors and not in a natural sort of environment? But it's this is the sort of research that that needs to be done, and I feel you know, but there just needs to be more of it going on oh gosh i'm, I'm gonna start a rant about air fresheners now why do people put, use air fresheners i just like open a window like <laughs> just let fresh air into your house don't release a load of of artificial smells into your house just open the window i don't understand i don't understand air fresheners they just 
I was really shocked when I did my literature reviews. Obviously, I do about indoor air quality. And I was actually really shocked about um, some of the things I found when I was going through scientific papers on air fresheners. And especially, I'm not sure what they're called. I think it's diffusers, the sort of fresheners with the sticks in. Um, so although... Uh, although what they put on the back in the ingredients, so so what the in an air fresher you did, there's liquid in the bottom. So so what the the what constitutes that is what's measured by the EU and in in sort of testing to make sure it's safe. But what a lot of these studies did is actually then sprayed the air fresher and then measured what concentrations. And it was something. It was a, I can't I won't quote the exact number, but it was a ridiculously small amount of pollutants that were in the on the ingredients bottle were actually produced. Were, were were actually on the ingredients bottle that were produced in the air because obviously when when the when it's sprayed all the pollutants react together and create uh, an even more dangerous concoction more pollutants it could be even more dangerous pollutants in the air and that's what was found and it's not actually on the ingredients label but it doesn't have to be and it's the same for diffusers it, it, they release a horrendous uh, VOCs especially into the into the air um, and I was really, I was quite interested by those sort of studies, but it's the sort of thing that's, that's sort of kept in academia, and it's not, it's not well known. And I didn't realise that. Um, and it's sort, and it, but we know that because uh, sort of my father-in-law to be the other day, he was um, spraying fly spray, you know, those those things that kill flies, spraying it in the room. I mean, the the, the room was was you, you could really smell it in the room, you know, you can taste it. So, um, and it, obviously, it's killing off flies, so it's not going to be the best the best chemicals anyway so i mean and these sort of things so yeah i would advise anyone if you don't don't use air freshers and especially not diffusers and not not the fly sprays because they're just we don't know what pollutants they're putting into the to the to the atmosphere indoor atmosphere i find a, a, an old-fashioned fly spotter is <laughs> is quite satisfying if you do need to kill any i try not i try to most things i try um i'm thinking oh that's a pollinator of my garden so i try to waft Shepherd it out outside, with a duster yeah. but if i've got a squat if i've got a squash something an old-fashioned fly, fly yeah. squatter is great or a newspaper exactly <laughs> And but even at fireplaces as well, uh, uh, just open fireplaces, wood burners, uh, yeah, they're just giving off horrendous uh, sort of chemicals indoors. Um, and I think indoor air quality is going to be a really big thing in the next ten years or so because I think we're suddenly start, we're starting to realise uh, it would go get two two more, but uh, sort of cancer rates are going up, uh, things like that. We're not really sure why. And, and and I think we're gonna, what we're going to realise is, although we do some some sort of controls indoors for for pollutants, um, that a lot of the stuff is is actually what we're putting indoors is very dangerous to our health. I do just want to ask to to roll back a bit and ask you about you mentioned briefly your previous research looking at ha- the fact that house plants actually give out some something that was not tell me more about that i i'm not gonna i i'm not gonna bab, babble on because i don't quite understand what what it was you were saying but could you just elaborate on that bit because that sounded really interesting yeah so plants um they also produce uh bvocs which is biogenic volatile organic compounds which is produced by them naturally so they do this outdoors and indoors um indoors it, from the evidence that I've I've seen, there is a, a base of sort of what is actually released, and the concentrations are very little. So there's no there's no need to have a mass, you know, every, everyone panic that they're releasing a lot of uh, BVOCs into the air that's going to affect the room level. Uh, certainly, the removal studies we found uh, remo- the, they remove a lot more than they would release. 
However, yes, they, they do actually release a, a lot of different compounds, and that's just it can be from I think it's it's not specifically from their indoor environment days, but sort of these plants obviously are, are from from the jungle or or from wherever originally, and, it, it, and then they can, they produce more when they when they're stressed, for example, or if they as a signaling between plants, for example, if 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 one of them is wounded or sort of broken off, they will produce a lot more. Uh, compounds and and it can be a signal between other plants as well so they're used in in nature like 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 with other um other animals and species i guess in a similar way to that so but they're, they're so they're useful for the plant itself but yeah there's no there's um and they but there's no need to sort of uh, panic about their concentrations okay well i feel slightly relieved yeah. now <laughs> but it's interesting yeah, i guess but, it's i guess it's motivation to keep your plants happy in that you know the, the, presumably if they're happy they're releasing less bvocs yeah i mean they, they certainly do when when they're stressed they release more but i think i think as, as we said it's it wouldn't be sort of a room level affecting right but it, it's sort of a it's 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 they're used by them as, as a signal and something in nature but as a, uh, i think it's from from the time when they were properly outdoor plants and and they don't probably don't need to do it that much indoors <laughs> i think that's still fascinating though that they're they're sending out they're communicating or trying to communicate with other plants to say somebody's just cut one of my leaves off <laughs> i just think that's amazing yeah exactly so they, they do recognize that and they will they they alter their, their behavior when they're when they're stressed and when things like that happen so they certainly notice that's the really interesting i just find that fascinating that there's so much going on that we're not even aware of plants are doing um you know in terms of taking things out of the air and also putting things into the air which we you know we're just thinking oh isn't that pretty and actually there's all this stuff going on that we have no idea about we also test we, i didn't mention this before we test our plants in in two conditions in in sort of wet conditions but also dry as in because anecdotally we know we might leave our plants a bit low and they get very dried out so we also test them for pollution removal in that dry and just to say that that doesn't increase that doesn't doesn't have a detrimental effect indoors them being dry as in they're not releasing a lot of pollutant pollutants in the atmosphere because of their dryness but we felt it was important to test because as we know <laughs> we try we can forget about plants and that's the state that they they possibly are in a lot of the time as well as being optimally watered so well that is so yeah. interesting i've learned so much curtis that's that's really fascinating no, what, what's your next step <laughs> what what are you, you going to be looking at next have you got any I mean, getting so, your phd yes. done is obviously the main <laughs> requirement presumably <laughs> yeah so that's so yeah i'm finished hopefully finishing in october um but the next steps really is is we're moving on to, to no2 i'm sure you've heard there's been a lot of reports recently about no2 banning of diesel cars um and it took in outdoor but things seem to trickle down a lot slower towards indoor i'm not really sure why because we know that that's where you know we spend we spend you know western europe we can spend 20 often spend 20 hours a day indoors or or in indoor environments as such so it's important to know what's indoors and and we're, and we're looking at no2 because that's that's under tested in sort of indoor plants that hasn't really been tested and it, and it's important because in cities especially where there are a lot of cars and a lot of um pollutants um it, it, they will easily travel indoors because uh, obviously these pollutants are, are so little they can just travel through standard cracks in buildings or if you have the window open for example, when you live near near a road, you're going to get a lot of these pollutants inside. So an NO2 is very, very dangerous, even at small concentrations. It causes cancer and it's, it's a really dangerous pollutant. So it will be good to know if plants can help 
with NO2 indoors because we've, there's been studies on trees and outdoor plants and it's shown that they can remove a lot of NO2, but this is sort of ambient outdoor tree concentration. So it would be assumed that they can also remove NO2, but at what level we don't know. So that's what we're moving on till next to uh, find out. And has your research prompted you to add more plants to your own home? <laughs> yeah, it has. I've, <laughs> I've got a lot more plants now in my home than I had before. And yeah, it's also the benefits, but also you just working with them and, and having them, you realise sort of how nice uh, they are to look at. And as this, anecdotally, it's it's been tested how well good they are for your well-being, etc. But and 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 how they make people sort of happy and and stressed. But it's certainly, I think everyone can tell when you when you put a plant in, people like it and uh, people look after it and take ownership of the plant and. Uh, yeah, that's something really important, I think. So I've, I've got loads more plants in my house now, probably too many. <laughs> Thanks so much to Curtis for joining me and discussing his research. Check out the show notes for links to academic papers and pictures of some of the plants that Curtis has been testing. And now... On to question of the week. This one comes from Alexis, who wanted a recommendation for a small fern that will remain small for a terrarium they're creating as a Christmas present for their mother-in-law. So this is a real make or break question, folks. This is also an excellent question because so often ferns that are sold for putting in terrariums are things that will be okay in a terrarium if bought as a baby plant, but beyond a few months, they're going to get too large. You even see things like asparagus ferns, which A, well, aren't exactly ferns, but also do grow absolutely massive. So if you're looking for a terrarium that will go for a long time without needing to be replanted, you really do want a teeny tiny fern that will grow slowly and stay small, 15 or 20 centimetres tall. One of my absolute favourite mini, mini ferns for a terrarium is Hemionitis arifolia, the heart-leafed fern. It's not particularly ferny, if you know what I mean. You're not getting a maidenhair, very filmy kind of look to the leaves. They're much more leathery, but it's still a beautiful plant and it will only get to around 15 centimetres tall. It does like consistent moisture in the potting mix. So this really is a plant that does well in a terrarium setting. Another fern I saw recently, which I think would make an excellent subject for a terrarium, is one called the eyelash fern. The Latin name is Actinopteris, and I've seen it recently on a couple of terrarium plant websites. This is another really tiny fern. It looks a bit like a very skinny flat leaf parsley. Um, it's one that likes a little bit of drier conditions than the Hemionitis arifolia. It's not something I've grown, but I think it would be definitely worth a try for your terrarium if you can get hold of one. Another really slow growing fern is the oak leaf fern Quercifilix zeylandica. I saw this on the Glasshouse Works website, although it's out of stock there at the moment because I think it's proving very popular. But the great thing about this one is it's very slow growing and it's another dwarf fern that would go really well in a lovely, cosy, humid terrarium. It would love the high humidity there. 
Unfortunately, it does seem like this plant is also proving popular in Europe as well because it's out of stock on the Araflora website, which is often my backup site for this kind of rare plant. As the name suggests, this one has fronds that look like oak leaves. And interestingly, this is one of these ferns where the fertile fronds are very different from the rest. They stand really upright and have a much more elongated look. So you get two different kinds of fronds on one plant, which adds a little extra something. And my last suggestion isn't actually a fern. Sorry about that, but it is a very, very cool plant. It's Biophytum sensitivum. This one only gets to about 15 centimetres as well. It's actually a member of the Oxalidaceae family. And it looks like a teeny tiny palm tree. If you remember back to the James Wong episode, James was growing these in a wonderful globe-like terrarium and they looked absolutely fantastic. And interestingly, like the prayer plant, the leaves of this biophytum will shut down at night and close up like an umbrella, which I always think is an extra bit of interest. Alexis, I hope that's given you some inspiration. You should be able to get the Hartleaf Fern from a wide variety of suppliers. So if you struggle with the others, go for that first choice. But do look up the others and add them to your wish list because they're all pretty fabulous. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. I am at your service. <laughs> That's it for this week's On The Ledge. There are just two more episodes left before Christmas. Gasp! So please do tune in next Friday for another slice of On The Ledge when we'll be talking about houseplant photography, how to get the best out of the pictures you take of your lovely leafy charges. Until then, have a fantastic planty week and remember, whether your watering can came from the pound shop cost you $150 the rules the same hold back on that watering can unless you're absolutely sure your plant needs it especially at this time of year see you plant fans bye in this week's episode came from The Joy Drops with Roll Jordan Roll An Instrument The Boy Called Happy Day Kakana by Samuel Corwin and Oh Mallory by Josh Woodward with ad music from Heftone Banjo Orchestra with Dill Pickles all licensed under Creative Commons see my website jperone.com for details 